Welcome everybody into another episode of Warm Weather Fans Sunbelt Podcast. I'm your host, as has been the last couple weeks, uh, Brian Stone, Georgia Southern writer for UnderdogDynasty.com. Joined once again this week by former Louisiana writer for Underdog Dynasty and Raging Cajuns aficionado, Matt Miguez. We will be talking Louisiana on this week's episode. Uh, Zeke, our third chair, was lost in a uh, a battle with a bloomin' onion from Outback Steakhouse, so he cannot be with us this week. Hopefully, we'll get him back uh, next week. But Matt, we're talking about your team today. Uh, I said before we started recording, it was dealer's choice. We can we can talk about Louisiana or App State to start off with. But how you doing overall? I'm doing good, man, and you know, I, my my first question has to be, how much time do you spend on a weekly basis coming up with your Zeke Palermo joke, or or, or is it just kind of you know rolls off the cuff, like ten minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not like a significant portion of time. I mean, it was. I had a couple that were already like in the bag when we started doing this. I was like, right. how many, I actually, once he comes on, if he ever decides to join us, I, I actually do have a good like intro for him. But until that day comes, it's just going to be Australia jokes all the way down. And nothing's more, nothing's more Americanized Australian than, than the Outback Steakhouse and the Bloomin' Onion. That's so awesome. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I said, we're, we're here this week to talk about, uh, the upcoming season for both Louisiana and app state. Um, Matt, you, you indicated before we started recording, you wanted to start off with Louisiana since you already had their information pulled up. I have, uh, Louisiana's page open of Phil Steele's, uh, college football preview book as well. There's one, so I want to start off by kind of setting the stage and then I'm going to let you talk for a bit uh, because, you know, obviously when you do a Sunbelt-centric podcast like this uh, on a yearly basis, there's going to be teams that you just simply don't watch as much. Typically, it's teams that are not as exciting to watch. I I mean, obviously, everybody watches their own team, right? Like, if you're a fan of a Sunbelt team, you're, you're pretty locked in. But as far as like watching teams outside of that, you know, if your team isn't playing another Sunbelt team, so you can't really get a grasp on it, you're typically only watching maybe, you know, Thursday night games to get broadcast on ESPN2 and things like that. Right. I'm going to be really honest. I did not watch a lot of Louisiana last year. Um, they, they, they were not all that exciting to me. I, I definitely didn't watch as much as as I did with the Billy Napier, Levi Lewis, you know, Sunbelt championship team. I, I obviously I watched them beat Georgia Southern. Um, but outside of that, there wasn't a lot bringing me to the table. So I want to kind of start here. How much of sort of what happened last year when they finished six and seven was the amount of talent that left uh, once 2020, 2021 was over? And how much of it do you think is the fact that sort of Billy Napier's offense walked out the door and went with him to Gainesville when he left the program? I think it was a perfect storm of, of both. You know, <clears throat> when <clears throat> excuse me, when Billy Napier went to Florida, obviously he brings Montreal Johnson with him. He brings Osiris Torrance with him. He brings, I'm not sugar-coated, he brings the entire coaching staff to, to Gainesville with him. Um it really put Michael Desermo in a tough spot. Um, and so, honestly, from a half-biased, half-unbiased opinion, because I am a graduate of UL, I, I do care about them more than most schools, but then at the same time, I also work in sports media, so I know how to keep it professional at the same time. Six and seven was pretty damn impressive. When, when you think about everything that this program went through uh, last offseason. You had three quarterbacks, three different quarterbacks, all make a contribution last year. And now they're all three back. So I think starting off for 2023, that's huge. Because when I spoke with Michael Desermo at Sunbelt Media Day, 
he said, look, you know, going into 2022, we sat there and said, man, I hope I have one guy that can go win us games. He said, going into 2023, I have three guys that I know can win us games. And so that's a much better feeling as a coaching staff than it was a year ago. And then, you know, you look at the offense as a whole, you have 18 returning letter winners from last year, 19 on the defensive side. I think this year is going to be a, a wake-up call, not in the sense of, you know, Michael Desmond on the hot seat or anything like that, because I just don't think that that's true. But I think that you're going to see a very similar situation to Billy Napier's second year. Because let's not forget, when Billy Napier first arrived in Lafayette, he went seven and seven year one. Six and seven and seven and seven, not 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 that far off. Um, you win the bowl game, you're seven and six. So I think this is a very similar situation. Now, am I saying that this Michael Desimo team is going to win eleven games just like Billy's second year did? No, I'm not saying that. But I will say that I think there will be an improved team if they can stay healthy. Uh, ben Wildridge, who tore his ACL late in the year last year, uh, he is back fully healthy and practicing after just nine months, uh, which has been really incredible to see. Chandler Fields and Zion Chris still there as well. Uh, and then you've got a lot of weapons from the running back spot and the wide receiver spot. So, look, I, I think this, especially offensively, and we'll get into the defense here in a little bit, but I think offensively, this team's in a really good spot. So, one thing I wanted to ask, and I didn't really get a feel for this last year just because it didn't seem like... It seemed like there was a lot of offensive inconsistency last year, right? So, like, I knew it was probably too early to say this, but... And did you say his name is pronounced Desermo? Or is Desermo. that just... Desermo? Okay. Mm-hmm. My, I said this going into last year, and, and I know it was only year one, and he he lost a lot of talent to graduation and transfer and all those sorts of things. My my issue always with these types of guys is if you hire an offensive minded coach or offensive coordinator who has worked under a offensive minded head coach, I always have reservations about those people because then the the obvious questions pop up of like. How much did he really have a hand in things like game plan, play calling, deciding on, you know, substitution packages, things like that? And, and I, you know, to be totally fair, I don't think last year was a good barometer of that. So I think he needs a, a year, another year or two before we really get like the full picture of, of what he looked like. But, and, and I'm sure you, this is the most obvious statement in the world to you, a Louisiana fan, but man, did this team miss a, a, deni- a dynamic presence at quarterback that Levi Lewis previously gave them last, you know, from, from last year. Certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you look at a guy like Levi, and obviously he was so physically gifted, right? I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. But I, I think the biggest attribute that Levi possessed was he just knew how to win. He knew what he had to do to get his team to a victory. Whether it was handing the ball off to a running back, throwing a dump pass to an elusive wide receiver, whatever it was, he knew when he needed to make a play and when he did. And and I think that that is one of the most important things that a quarterback can learn. Because, you know, in, in this day and age, you look at a quarterback, especially when you're playing that position, and you go, oh man, I have to make all the plays all the time. That's not that's not at all the case. Um, so, so I think sometimes quarterbacks nowadays try to do too much, and that gets them in trouble. Um, and I and I think you saw a lot of that last year with with both Ben and Chandler because uh, neither guy really has significant experience starting. Um, and, and so I think that plagued them a little bit. But one thing I'm interested to see is you know the the cliche thing is the biggest growth is from year one to year two. What does Ben Wooldridge look like in year two now that he's got a season of starting under his belt? You know, this offense trusts him. They say he's the vocal leader of the locker room. So what does this offense look like now that Michael Desiree's had a year to put his stamp on the offense, Tim Leger's had time to make the offense his own as well, and now their quarterback knows it. 
Um, I, I think you're going to see a more cohesive offense, and I think you're going to see better offensive chemistry. Now, am I am I saying that they're going to magically put more points on the board? No, because I don't know yet. Um, but from a chemistry standpoint and a communication standpoint, I think you see a much improved offense. Yeah, I I mean, what you mentioned about basically having a feel for the game is and having those sorts of intangibles is so underrated and invaluable because it's like you can have all the physical tools in the world. You can have a giant rocket arm. You could be 6'4", weigh 240 pounds and be a quarterback that is just an absolute bowling ball and with like a cannon attached to his arm. But if you don't know... Like, you don't have a feel for a situation like what you talked about with, like, when to dump it off, when to scramble, right. to throw a deep, try, try a deep shot, when to just dump it underneath to a tight end or something on a crossing pattern. Like, when to throw that, it out of bounds. What's up? When to throw it out of bounds and live to fight another daddy. When, that, oh my gosh, you don't even know how much of a pet peeve that is for me, especially as a, as a team that in years past had run the option, having right. a guy run the the odd passing play and him taking the two-yard loss to run out of bounds versus just throwing it away used to, like, boil my blood. Like, okay. it really is one of, one of the biggest pet peeves I have is, like, on an RPO, a guy decides to tuck it and, and is still looking downfield and then just sort of scrambles out of bounds and loses two, three yards, and then guess what? It goes from third and two to third and five, right. and it becomes, you know, at that point, yeah, it becomes more of a prayer than it does, you know, especially when you're a primary running team, it becomes more of a prayer than it does like a gimme. So, there's one question I wanted to ask you, just like I said, as someone who didn't keep up with Louisiana super, super closely, like. It, it was such an up-and-down season last year. You know, you guys play Troy really close, who ends up winning the conference. But then, like, you know, you lose by 15 to Southern Miss, who, like, struggled on offense all year. So it was God, so hard. Was it, it was so hard to, like, pin down game-to-game, game, like, what type of team I was watching. When you look at the offense, besides the quarterback position, what is the position group that needs to take the biggest jump in order for Louisiana to be better on offense this year? Um, so the obvious answer would be the offensive line. So I'm not going to give that one. Um, I'm I'm going to go with wide receiver, uh, because when when you look at wide receiver, you lost key pieces with Michael Jefferson and John Stevens Jr., uh, who are both now on NFL rosters, and then you know you get Peter LeBron back, who has been in your offense since you know 2020. Um, and then Jacob Bernard is, is a young guy that you kind of molded and developed into the player that you want him to be. Uh, so you got two really good veteran leaders there. And then after that, everybody else is just kind of a question mark. You know, Charles Robinson, Caleb Carter, Robert Williams, uh, Harvey Broussard is another local kid that they committed to UL. So there's a lot of new faces behind those two. Uh, obviously, Lance LeJean is listed on, on the depth chart, but he was suspended indefinitely last week. So, you know, he's not in the picture anymore. Um, so that wide receiver group is going to be interesting to see how how they develop. Um, but I think those two guys, Peter LeBlanc and, and Jacob Bernard, really have to step up and, and become the leaders of that group because, you know, for most of their career, they've been number two or number three, and and that just can't be the case anymore. You have to be the number one guy now. I've always had a question with uh, Louisiana and LSU. Is there something written into maybe like state law that says you guys can only recruit guys that have incredibly Cajun-sounding last names? Oh God, we could have a we could have an entire podcast disgusting state legislature between Louisiana and LSU. I mean, it is, it, it is quite brutal. Um, but you would, you would almost think when you look at that, our roster, that that would be the case. 
I mean, it's just like every time I run down the roster and I have you uh, pronounce the names, it sounds like extra characters from the Princess and the Frog. Like, it, <laughs> here's 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 Senor Lance Lejean over here. <laughs> so yeah, it's, right. So I I just didn't know if that was. I mean, I know obviously there's like a lot of French influence, but it always just seems like, you know, there's never like. Cam Smith is our wide receiver. It's always like someone incredibly French. I mean, hey, Pita Lebrero. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so let's move uh on to defense. What are we looking at as far as what's returning production wise from this year? What what should we be? Is there maybe like a position group, maybe like secondary or something like that, that we should really keep an eye on that maybe not even expected to like I don't know progress but just like that that is the strength of this defense would you say I am so excited about this defense because look you you look at the numbers of, of guys that you have returning and you only have three returning starters I mean you look at the stats you know your top four tacklers from last year are gone Look, I get it. You lost a ton. But the way that both Billy Napier and Michael Deserto now in year one have have done things, even though they're not technically starters, everybody that is listed on this depth chart has played. They have seen significant snaps. So you're really going to be able to just kind of plug and play guys you know, in this defense, you look at the front three, Jordan Lawson, Sonny Hazard, and Mason Narcisse, not a single senior on that front three. I mean, that's huge. And Sonny Hazard had a huge year last year getting four sacks and one and a half tackles for loss. Then, you know, you look at a guy, you look at them in the linebacker group, Cameron Whitfield, Jasper Williams, KC Osai. He was at Sunbelt Conference Media Days. Um, his brother, Joseph Osai, played at Texas, and now plays with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and, and then the secondary, you've got transfers everywhere. Tyrone Lewis Jr. transferred from Kansas State. Amir McDaniel, Caleb Anderson, uh, Cortland Flowers has been a guy that has been looked at for three years now as the future of this secondary. Uh, he finally gets an opportunity with guys like Trey Lemus and Cam Badesco both transferring out, which I, uh, I think those are two huge losses for this team. Um, now a guy like a Cortland Flowers or an Amir McDaniel get an opportunity to showcase what they can do. And it's a young defense, not a whole lot of starting experience, but again, they all have playing time. And I think it's going to be a very good defense considering the fact that, and we'll get to their schedule in a bit, it's kind of easy. No, yeah. I mean... That that definitely was something I was going to bring up. Um, you know, you mentioned Casey Osai. His brother Joseph Osai totally blew that playoff game for the Bengals last year. Yeah. That was that was brutal. But yeah, no, I, talk about that. <laughs> we could we could skip. Um, but yeah, I, I, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, you said you were really excited for the defense. I, I can definitely see why, at least on paper i mean obviously we'll see how it how it actually shakes out when when game you know speed and things like that start uh before we jump into the the schedule you you returned kenneth almondaris the mm -hmm. the kicker uh last year i believe wasn't he 18 of 23 and mm -hmm. made every every but one pat dude he is a thick kicker 6'1 to yeah. 42 like kenny kenny kenny's a big guy Get him out. What was it? Penn State a couple years ago that had that Joey, Joey Julius yeah. and two two seventy. Like he could kick and then line up at linebacker if he needs to, or that so, guy could have walked in. I'm so glad you brought that up. When I was in high school, URL had a kid by the name of Hunter Stover, and if you go on YouTube, you can look him up, and it, it's incredible. So he played at local high school here, and he was a kick. He was the kicker, and he was a linebacker. Now, he had two college scholarships, UN and LSU. LSU ran him on a full ride, 
you know, everyone to play linebacker. He went to URL because he wanted to kick too. And there were so many instances. There's a there's a highlight from one of the New Orleans Bulls that the Cajuns won. He does a kickoff, sprints down to the other end, and lays out the return man. Dude, that guy was awesome. So he was like he was like y'all's Pat McAfee, basically. It was incredible. Like every so time he's much. he's just smoking somebody on the kickoff return team. And he was, and he was the last one to leave the group. Obviously, because he's the kicker, but yet he was supposed to run down there every time. <laughs> it was insane. All right, so you you mentioned it, and I, I definitely acknowledged it. I want to get into the, the schedule here. You talked about it being easy, and I definitely agree. I mean, when you look at the games on the schedule, I mean, on paper, I think there's two games, maybe three, I think there's maybe there's three games that you guys I don't think are going to win, and that's it. And, and you know that could set up for a really beneficial, you know, year two for Desermo, who you know definitely looking for, to to rebound from six and seven last year. But you know, Northwestern State, Old Dominion, UAB, Buffalo, Minnesota could go either way. That. PJ Fleck is a maniac. I have no idea what to expect from that team. <laughs> Did you hold on? Can we do like a side, like a, a, a quick two minutes on Minnesota? Did you read like the allegations, oh, yeah. Erwin? Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, I, I work at sports journalism. It's my job to read that kind of stuff. People, when players would get asked, How are you doing today? If they didn't answer with, I'm a little elite, I got in trouble. It's. And and sometimes when he entered a room, if they he didn't feel like they get the players gave him enough of a, a standing ovation, he would leave and re-enter. Yeah, I, look, I I don't I don't like to throw the word court around, but it it, it, it feels kind of cultish. He reminds me of um, you remember when like Jim Harbaugh coached the 49ers? Yeah, and he, he, he was. They were playing the Lions, and him and Jim Schwartz had that weird thing where he, they like shook hands at midfield, and he patted him on the back kind of hard, and Jim Schwartz followed. You know what I That seems like something that PJ Fleck would do. He'd be like, "Why did you hit me on the back so hard?" And the guy's like, "Right, what, what are you talking?" About? <laughs> so where, like, where's the bow, baby? Where's the bow? And just and just reading some of the responses, like. Well, online when that story came out from Minnesota fans, it was like, you guys know you could dump this dude tomorrow and like probably be fine. Like he's he's a good coach for sure, but like being an attractive job, and that's probably due to him. But like they they talk about him like he walks on water. I mean, it's like what's the thing? You you're you're in the Big Ten, so you get the Big Ten murder. But since you haven't been very good, there's no expectation. No. If you win six games, the, the fan base is jumping for joy. Yeah, they're in the, I mean, now they're in the Purdue, Indiana. Right. Northwestern, especially Northwestern. You want to talk about <laughs> institutional chaos. Um, but so let's let's go from... You know, PJ Fleck being an absolute psychopath to uh, the rest of the schedule. Uh, so, Texas State, Georgia State. I think the, uh, you know, we can run down the rest of this, but I think the three games in my mind are I think Buffalo, uh, not Buffalo, I think Minnesota is probably a loss. And then if you look at conference play, I think Troy and South Alabama are going to give you guys some real issues. But other than that, man, I feel like, you know, you upset one of those teams and then you run the table, you're looking at a nine and three, ten and two ish type season. You even worries me. Who does? You even worries me. I'm not sure why, but they do. Yeah, I mean speaking from firsthand experience, Georgia Southern played them last year and it was it was like very close and then here's the thing, at least with the way UAB was constructed last year, if you do not have an all-time bad rush defense, you will be okay. Because 
Yeah, I know. We yeah, I mean, I mean, it was like Dwayne McBride, who now plays, uh, was a seventh round pick for the Vikings. Now, um, ran for like two hundred and thirty yards or something with like, I think one hundred and eighty five of those yards or something like that came in the second half alone. Like it was just one of those things where it was like, he was close at halftime, and then in the second half, like the rush defense was just asleep for the rest of the game. So it was, it was impossible to stop him. But, I, I mean, they don't have him anymore. I don't know what they're going to do with the running back position to sort of fix that and take over for him. But, you know, uh, UAB maybe, you know, it's on the road. But it's still kind of close. It's not like you're traveling super, super far. Um, it's, what, six hours, I think? Yeah, I mean, I would have thought thought less than that, actually. But, yeah, I, you know, it, it's one of those things, but... Dude, the the Sun Belt schedule outside of a couple of games is is a yeah. absolute layup. I mean, it's you, you know we, you look, the, the the two conference games that really make me nervous right off the bat are the two Alabamas. Uh, you know, you at South South Alabama, you are at Troy. But then, man, you look at the games last year. The Kansas should have won both of them. Yeah, and then they lost by twelve points to Rice. Yeah, well, we don't we don't. I mean. It's stuff like that, or they lost by four uh, to ULM. You the, know. ULM, the ULM game, the South Alabama game, and the Troy game, I am sure that they haunt Michael Deservet. Because those are games that you should have won, and you're looking at a completely different... Even if a Baron Ross, you're still looking at finishing nine and four. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 your fans are still happy because you went nine and four. It it's tough because I feel like okay, I and and we're we can kind of wrap up on this, but looking at last year, the the inconsistency that we saw where it was like they played good teams really tough and they played bad teams, you know, they played down essentially to these teams. I feel like maybe he he might be okay, and that might be like just early jitters. You know what I mean? As a as a coach, like trying to figure out how to preach consistency is like one of the most important things that you yeah, can sure. coach. Because you know, I I've seen coaches in this conference, you know, do the same stuff, but then they never figured out the consistency part of it, and it would it just totally wrecked them. You know, as a as a coach, so we'll we'll see how that all. Uh, how all that all plays out but uh let's sort of move on here to Appalachian State who I mean but I don't care what kind of what color lipstick you put on this pig this was not a good season based on the results they had had under I, I mean even Sean Clark in previous seasons you know you know, I, I, they just, this was not the, let me, I mean, just like, let me read their previous, you know, five seasons results out, off of the page. 2018, they go 11 and two, won the Sunbelt title. Mm-hmm. 2019, 13 and one, won the Sunbelt title. Mm-hmm. 2020, nine and three, didn't win the Sunbelt title, but there wasn't a Sunbelt title game, but they, they also weren't invited. That was the first year of, you know, Coastal Carolina's rise in the East. Yeah. In 2021, they they go 10-4, and four, lose to Louisiana by eight points in the Sun Belt title game. You at least got there last year. Six and six. You, I mean, let's be totally honest. Like, they were very lucky. I mean, obviously with the Hail Mary to beat Troy. They should not have won that game. Agreed. But I think the fact that it came down to that play should have probably been an early indicator of, like, either... Both of these things can be true. Either Troy is going to be legit or App just doesn't have it this year. And it turned out to be both of those things were true. Correct. And it it was one of those things that came down to a flute play at the end of the game. So, have you ever... Have you ever seen the roller coasters that... You know, you go, obviously, you, you start by going up, right, to build the momentum. And then 
you just go straight down and never return. Yeah, I actually I actually have an exact roller coaster that does that. Uh the Shikra at yep. Bush Gardens in Tampa. Literally yeah. it gets you to the top and then you click and you're just looking like straight down. Yeah. That's that that was App State season last year. Because because you open up with an instant rivalry with North Carolina and it was a dog fight. I mean, 63 to 61, like, you don't get much better than that. You go to College Station, and you'd be running out. Now, A&M ended up being not really good last year, but we didn't know that yet. Yeah. So that was a huge win for App. And then you come back home, you play true, and obviously you weren't supposed to win the game, but you made a play at the end. Those first three games were great. They they were a thirteen point favorite in that game against oh, Charles, so they supposed to win. <laughs> Those first three games were great, and when you lose to James Madison, you lose on the road to Texas State when you were a nineteen point favorite. By the way, that that should have been. I mean, it was for for Zeke and I when we were doing the podcast last year. That was the first indication. I'm like, this is not the same type of team that we're used to seeing they would not okay because here's the thing just one last thought on that game as close as the final score looks that was not how close the game was this was not this was one of those where they scored all their points like in the second half when texas was just like sure we'll run the ball yes yeah well the, the, the best way I think that I can describe App State's season is you won the games that you were supposed to, and you didn't win any of the toss-up games. Because if you look at it, you were a three-point favorite against Coastal Carolina. You didn't win that one. You were a two-point favorite at Marshall. You didn't win that one. Then you were a six-point favorite to Georgia Southern. You didn't win that one. Those toss-up games that could make or break your season, you didn't win. And now, I hate to say it because I like Sean Clark as a guy. Who's on the hot seat going to this year? And you have a red shirt freshman quarterback. Look, I don't hear this funny. If they're on the mountain, thank God name no else back. Because I don't even know what you're going to do. So here, here's my question. I don't actually. I don't know if he's on the hot seat, and the reason I say that is, if you're, it, it depends on how trigger happy the AD is. He has not, you know, to my knowledge, had to make these decisions very often. You know, you had one year of Eli Drinkwitz. You know. It, it it was like all of the head coaches that he had were successful and then moved on elsewhere, and his biggest concern was, okay, who am I hiring next? It was never, oh my gosh, this guy is in, in at risk of being fired. So here's my thing. 2021, they lose in the Sunbelt title game. That was Sean Clark's first year, I think, of being the head coach. Uh, second year. Second year, okay. I mean, I think a nine and three season and a ten and four season with a Sun Belt title loss, I think that probably buys him another year, unless it, this is just an absolute tire fire season. Like, yes, if they go three and nine or something crazy, yeah, he's probably looking for a, a job elsewhere. If they go seven and five, six and six again, I think he's back in twenty twenty four. Like. He he has had two really good seasons, and you can say whatever you want. Maybe he won with other guys' recruits. That's neither here nor there. He had two really good seasons as a head coach, and then he had last year where they finished 500, and the only reason they didn't go to a bowl game is because they had a scheduling conflict and scheduled two FCS teams, and and they're, you know, you're only allowed a max of one in order to supplement a bowl schedule. So, yeah, I mean, I, honestly... A lot of, I okay. 
I think a lot of the outlets that I've seen that have forecasted this team, unless they know something I don't about Ryan Berger, the the redshirt freshman quarterback, I don't think they're going to be as good as they're being projected. Like uh, Nate Noel, yeah, Nate Noel. I like you're right. He covers up a lot of, you know, miscues, a lot of errors. You can put the the offense on his shoulders and sort of run it that way. But man. They had the same situation last year with a better quarterback and a better supporting cast, and they won six games. Yep. So I mean, like, I agree. But but I I feel like I'm almost taking like I'm like I'm like in Zoolander. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I say like everything I've read, beginning of this magazine, online on on X or Twitter or whatever it's called this week, like all of that stuff has just been like. Yeah, App State like the third best team in the conference or whatever, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what are what are we talking I, about? I I I think that that's muscle memory. That's what like we step foot in the conference, they've been a top three team, right? But this year they're not. But the, the thing they're a top five team. The thing that drives me crazy too is like. You know, outside of Nate Noel, who we know is a is a slam dunk as a running back and a player, I just feel like I keep seeing even the Sun Belt of you know conference Twitter post things that are like, we expect App State to be good again this year, and I'm like, based on what? Like, well, let's be he's not playing, he's not playing with Satterfield's recruits anymore. He's not playing with the Drinkwitz one-year recruits, like, those guys have aged out. The COVID year gave them an extra year of eligibility, which was last year. All those guys are out the door, man. He's he's playing with his guys at this point, other than Nate Noel. So, the the part that, and I could be be totally wrong, maybe Ryan Berger comes out and he's the next uh, Grayson McCall and he just looks friggin' amazing and we're just all sitting here looking like idiots, but I just feel like, at least on the surface, the the amount of preseason hype they've gotten has been insane to me. And and look, you know, talking about App State, I, I said that they may not be a top five team in the conference, and you know that might that might rattle some App State fans a little bit. But look, let me say this: as somebody who follows a team that has battled App State in three of the first five. Conference championship games? Please be good. I want you to be good. I respect the hell out of you. Yeah, and and App State's not on Louisiana schedule this year. Dude, I want App State to go 13 and 0. But I just I don't, don't think that it's gonna happen. No. I don't think so either. Because like I said, if if you if you look at the way last year went. It, it's almost indisputable that they had more talent last year, like than they mm. do this. Certainly. Okay, so that's the part that drives me nuts. Is like, you know, I, I just don't understand like where where this. And maybe like you said, maybe it's just muscle memory, and like all these outlets are just used to seeing App State, and you know, it, as nope. far as you know, they saw the national media at large, saw them beat Texas A&M in week two and then just tuned out the rest of the season. Or maybe they... No, you know what it was? They saw them beat Texas A&M. They saw them throw the Hail Mary and beat Troy. And that was the end of the amount of analysis they did about App State last year. Like, at week three, they just turned their brains off and was like, all right, on to the next good story. If you look at App State's statistical leaders, going back to the the conversation that they had no talent last year, you had a three-headed running back backfield last year. You had a better quarterback, I, I I assume, because we're the jury's still out on Ryan Berger. But and then yeah, I mean your top four pass catchers from last year return, but you have so much question about the quarterback that is that really a benefit that you have receivers? I mean I. At least going back last year, I felt like, and I said this in the preseason, and I don't, I didn't even look to see if people disagreed or not, but I I was almost looking at Chase Bryce going, "You're not that guy, pal." Like I I'm like I'm like 
I've watched you play games in big situations. You're not, you know, right. Zach Thomas. You're not Taylor Lamb. Like you're you're not the the caliber of quarterback App is used to having when they're winning conference titles. Like sure. the that they lost, you know, twenty twenty one when they lost to Louisiana. He he didn't play well in either of those games. And I said, I think Louisiana is at a different level as a team as a whole. I don't think he's going to be able to bring it, and he never did. And then last year, you saw what happened. Like, the Texas State game, I again, I probably should have went back and listened to these old podcast episodes just to get these stats correct. I think in the first half of the Texas State game, he had like 50 yards passing. In the first half. Yep. And I think he finished with over 300 yards. You're, you're pretty close. So, like, when you look at the stats at the end, you're like, wow, he played really well, but they just came up short. But then you look at the box score and you're like, wait, they were down 28 at halftime or whatever it was? Like, it was like, oh, it was never close. It was just them clawing back slowly. So, yeah. Okay. Also, Phil Steele, apparently in last year's magazine, said that they had the number one running back and number one offensive line in the Sun Belt. That wasn't true. I mean, maybe the running back part was. we. Do, I, I, I don't think that was true because I think... Uh, Marshall had a two-headed attack that was pretty damn hard to stop. <laughs> but other than that, yeah. So let's get into this year. You know, we talked about Nate Noel. I almost feel like there's nothing really to say, man. Like, I, if you want to make the argument that he's the best running back in the Sun Belt, I'm not really going to argue with you. Like, I definitely think he's extremely talented. But we've talked about our concerns about having a redshirt freshman quarterback. You know, I, I don't know what to what to expect. The guy has six pass attempts in his entire career. So he's get he's going from six pass attempts to a full full slate of work. Right. Um Yeah, I mean, like you said, receiving core is good. I like Christian Horn, you know. But like if you don't have the quarterback and the 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 other thing last year, man, I was looking at online like when they would lose these games, and the the App State fans were just absolutely flaming all all their entire coaching staff during these games because they're like the offense can't score consistently, the defense isn't focused when they show up to these games. Sean Clark is, I mean, I hate to say it, they were people were like, you know, he was essentially looking like uh uh. App State's version of Chad Lunsford, where it was like, yeah, it was great when you had another guy's recruits, but when it came time to put up or shut up, you Correct. had nothing to say. So, Correct. So, I'm just like, I don't I don't really know what to expect, but I don't project them to be as good as everyone else. And then even when we look at the defense, you know, Gary, you have your top two pass tack, or you have your top two tacklers back from a year ago, but one of them was in the secondary, and one of them plays linebacker. If your top two tacklers are in the back five of your defense, hey, new newsflash, bud, that's a problem. And your and your best pass rusher in Nick Hampton is gone. And you know, first team all Sun Belt, all that jazz. Um now, now I have to say, DeAndre Dingler Prince might go. First team or name. That's a pretty good one, yeah. I mean, DeAndre Daimler Prince is pretty is pretty good. Yeah. I like <laughs> you know, I like Santana Hooper a lot. Their their backup defensive end. I think he's like fourth string or something, but Santana Hooper's a cool name. Santana um, not bad. Yeah. But so so let's sort of summarize the team here. You have a a head coach who on on paper at least seems to be on shaky ground. We don't know what the AD's sort of stance on this is. Right. You have a quarterback that has six pass attempts in his entire career. You have a really good running back and really good skill position players. We didn't really talk about the offensive line. What what are we, what do we think? Like, do we think they're going to be solid? Uh, I mean, you had... 
you brought in some good transfers. Um, I mean, you got a guy from Georgia, you got a guy from NC State, you got a guy from Syracuse, but you you lost your two first team all conference tackles. Um, so I I think that there's just too many questions to make a you know an informed opinion because on paper you look at it and go, oh God, you lost a lot, but then you. You're going to try to fill it with some good transfers and maybe it works out for you, but it's kind of going to be a, we have to wait and see how it goes. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about it a little bit defensively. They they lost Nick Hampton, who was, who was easily their most talented pass rusher. I mean, he was maybe the best pass rusher in the entire conference. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then what, what did you say? Their top returning tacklers all play in the secondary. So, yeah. Your, your leading tackler from last year is your free safety, and your second leading tackler is your weak side linebacker. Th- that's not great. And I'll I'll say this: so they bring Scott Sloan in, uh, who had previously coached at Georgia Southern, to be their defense coordinator. He had spent time at App before he came over to Georgia Southern. You know what I'd like to say to App fans who haven't seen a Scott Sloan defense. Get ready for a lot of blown coverages on the back end. You're going to watch a lot of safeties covering nobody. Just open air. Like, I've watched so many safeties just covering grass with nobody within 10 yards of them. It is insane. I almost lost my mind watching some of these games. I used to, when I wrote for, when I write, when I write for Underdog, but like in seasons past, when they would really, when they were really bad, like, um, 2021 I used to just screenshots of games and be like who is this man covering and they would just a defender and there would be two receivers behind him in the end zone waiting on the pass and there's just a guy in the middle just bought a popcorn and at a sooty pop and decided to like pop a squat and watch the game like in the middle of the field so yeah you Scott Sloan does a a lot good with pass rush and and run defense, pass defense, buddy. Oof, buckle in. It's gonna be an adventure for sure. Uh, if you have a weak link in the secondary, the other team will find it because if you don't know what you're doing in a Scott Sloan defense, you will be lost and and be totally, you know, up up the river without a paddle. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um. So yeah, let's let's talk about their schedule a little bit. Uh, you want to talk about an easy schedule? I think they f- have a have an easy schedule outside of they sort of have the East Division version of you guys' schedule. Like they they play Coastal and they play James Madison. Their first five games, they're gonna be four and one. Yeah, I mean, if they're not like, do you think they're like, hey, uh, Sean, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> I think you lose to North Carolina, and I think you beat everybody else. And, and so then you know you go into your bye week four and one, and then you come back out of it. You got that battle with Coastal, which you know over the last couple of years that's become a, a fun football game. Um, Old Dominion should be a win. Seven Miss coming to Boone, I think that's a win. Marshall would be a great game. Uh, it always is when those two teams get together. I think Marshall beats them. I, I could I could see that. I, I I just think like you know, I haven't I haven't looked ahead and done my Marshall research yet. If Rasheen Ali is back Well she is. He's back. Okay. Yeah, no. I he's he's already a sophomore, I believe. He had a weird year last year. He yeah. sat out like Ten games and then came back right at the end of the season and looked great, but then like split time with a guy that was like a two thousand yard rusher. So it was like it was just a weird season for him overall. I didn't really. Know yeah, I, I really missed a lot of time with an injury last year. Um, he he got hurt early in the year and he didn't come back till the very end. And then their backup, Cameron Wayburn, ran almost three hundred yards last year. Yeah, was a monster. So yeah. I was like, I I didn't, I didn't really know what what to expect from them. But if Rasheen Ali, who looked good at the end of last year, is at full strength, I mean, I like Nate Newell a lot. The one thing Marshall does well is they usually have a pretty good defense. If App... Best ring back in the conference. Yeah, I mean, if App 
puts up the defensive effort that they did last year when they played Marshall, like Rasheen Ali is going to tear them up. So, like, I know they play them at home, but, like, you know, even going back to previous uh, years when when App was good, it was a real coin toss on who was going to come out on top of that one. Right. So, so I think after that Marshall loss, I think you go on the road and you beat Georgia State. They've never lost to Georgia State, ever. So yeah, I think you lose. I think you lose the last two games against James Madison and Georgia Southern. So that's what seven and five. Yeah, the Georgia Southern one is interesting. Um, I don't know whether this was a problem with Clay Helton. I probably should have brought this up during the Georgia Southern episode, but I just had so many like things, takes, and thoughts to get out there. Georgia Southern went on a run last year of a couple of games where they just looked. Like, absolutely dead. Yeah. Which was leading up to the app game. So, like, Louisiana was one of those games. Marshall right. was one of those games. They just went on a run where they just, like, every game they just sort of rolled over. I think South Alabama was another one. They just rolled over and let other teams pet their belly like they were a dog. Like, it was just like, do whatever you want. We don't care. You know, we're we're, we're packing it in. And then they show up against app. And I was like, they're just going to cash this game in and walk into the offseason and be done with it. And then they like fought and won in double overtime. So I was like, I don't know what's going on. But if they're if they're gearing up for another late season slide, it may coincide this time with the app game versus them sort of breaking their funk right at the end of the year. I don't know what to expect. I again I don't know if that was a Clay Hilton issue or what. You know, that that game's always interesting. I mean, the rivalry that's just, you know, been built in over the years there. Uh, especially when when you were both battling for FCS national titles, um, look, I, I think that this is a season where Sean Clark can look at this roster and look at this team and say, "Look, we can improve, but you can't go backwards." You know, we talked earlier about you know he he may have bet himself another year with the way that his first two seasons have gone, and and maybe that's the case, but. If you have a worse record than six and six, the history and the tradition that App State has, I don't know if, if that keeps him around for another year. Can I can I drop a take on you? I don't know if this is hot or whatever. I think the absolute worst possible outcome for this season, if you're an App fan, is that they finish seven and five or six and six, because. If you look at it from one direction, say they're really good, they take advantage of this this favorable schedule. Say they go nine and three, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I feel pretty good about this team. Sean Clark's back in 2024. If they go totally the opposite way, they finish three and nine. There's a chance Sean Clark is is looking for work, and it's probably higher than if you go three and nine, you're fired. Right, but if they finish six and six again. I think it's a coin flip, and I think he probably has built up enough goodwill to be back in 2024. Even if you, even if you as a fan, don't have any faith in him, I think the AD is going to look at past results and be like, "How can I fire this guy? He's basically had two mediocre seasons." And the worst thing that you can do as a program is embrace mediocrity because that is a quick. You want to talk about roller coasters? That is a quick look into the abyss because once you sort of are like. You know, seven and five, six and six isn't that bad. The next year is going to hit you like a ton of bricks, or it may not be the next year, but it'll be two years. I think you either have to hope. I mean, obviously, you're hoping you win every game. Like that's that's pretty much a given for a, a fan of every program. But I think in the back of your mind, like even if you don't want to admit it, I think you're, you're like, yeah, like if we're it, like if we're not going to be great, we need to be an absolute tire fire. Correct. Because either way. Like that was that was exactly what happened with Chad Lunsford, where it was like, you know, once Shy Wirtz graduated, it was like or transferred rather he was a graduate transfer, I think. But it was like, okay, let's see what he can do with a quarterback with not the last name Wirtz. Oh, guess what? We're an absolute train wreck and we have to get rid of this guy or else he's hurt our brand. And then it was like we're horrible. Right. And and so that that's what it took to shake it up. If they went six and six He'd still be the coach today. Correct. So, you know, say what you want about 
Clay Helton, pros, cons, whatever. I know, God, USC fans love to bag on him. I mean, I'm just like, I, I'm just like, if, if, if you finish mediocre and you're Sean, you root for Sean Clark's team, that, that is an absolute worst case scenario because there's a, a greater than 40% chance that he's back as the head coach. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you stay mediocre, if you finish 500 again like you did this past year, I, I agree with you completely. The first two years bought him another year if you go 6-6 six and six again. Also, I mean, they again, they were 6-6. Six and six. They were not a 4-18, and 18, you know? Feels like it. They were, they were one, you know, in theory... They're uh, playing against Georgia Southern in the finale. They're one play away from being seven and five and making a bowl game, which wouldn't have been up to app standards. But you can look at that and sort of say, you know, there's some good things to build off of, dude. But two of those six wins came against the FCS. Yeah, but like again, it, it's like you can say what you want. Like they played close with Troy and eventually beat them. You know they. They played close with Coastal. It was a seven-point game. They played close with Marshall. It was a seven-point game. Like, yeah, you'd like to win those, but I think on paper you could be like, you know, Texas State really got away from us. We understand that. But other than that, you didn't really get, like, totally shellacked in any other game. So, now, before we we run, I got to ask you a question. I've I've heard you I've heard you use the phrase tire fire. Mm-hmm. Is that like a southern Midwest thing? Because I have never heard that phrase before in my life. Uh it's sort of like a sub for dumpster fire. But here's the thing: when rubber burns, what does it smell like? Crap. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Yeah, because I've 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 heard dumpster fire in my whole life. Yeah, bigger fire. That's a new one. Yeah, tire fire. I use a little bit, but yeah, it, it's mostly reg- regarding like the smell of rubber burning. Like when rubber burns, it smells almost worse than garbage because you know it's just like oh, you're spot on. So out of those gasoline, really gets stuck in your nostrils. I might, I might have to use that. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you, you know? Let's let's go ahead and wrap up here. Uh. I want to know, and you let people know where to find you on various social media platforms. For where to find me on social media, uh, you can go to just about anywhere, and it's at Megasmet. So, as always, you can find me on x.com. I guess I'm out there xing or whatever that the, they call tweeting now that there's not a bird icon. Uh, you can find me xing at Watch the Stone. Uh, I'm, it sounds dirty. It shouldn't, but it does. Uh, 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 you can find me on threads, even though that you want to talk about a tire fire, that, that old platform is a waste of time. It sucks. Have you ever wanted to find out what your favorite Instagram creators thought of their lunch? Join threads. (laughs) You want to hear them complain about getting a parking ticket? Join threads. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on both of those social media platforms at Watch the Stone. Next week, we will put our nose to the grindstone and we're gonna run the dang football talking about Marshall and Southern Miss, who you want to find two teams that love nothing more than to just hand the ball off to the running back and, and let them work. Oh yeah. Are running the dang football next week. No, absolutely. That'll be a uh, a fun one to talk about. The superback and Rasheen Ali. And Frank Gore Jr. Yeah. So the 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 two backs that are the entire offense for their teams. Uh so as always, you can find the the show on Twitter at Warm Weather Fans. Uh you can contact us at either that Twitter account or at warmweatherfans at gmail.com. We'd be we'd love to get any, you know, feedback, questions, comments on the episode on the show as a whole. And then obviously you can listen to us on Pretty much any podcast platform, Spotify, I signed us up for that. Uh, Apple, you know, whatever you like to use, Pocket Casts, I know a lot is hot with a lot of people. 
You can find us on any of those platforms. We will be back next week to talk about running the dang football on the Warm Weather Fans Sunbelt Podcast.